related to their disease that aren't openly discussed. In Tabuti, the Fight CRC podcast, we delve into those topics that are sometimes considered controversial, trending, or just plain interesting. To suggest a podcast topic, email answers at fightcrc.org. Welcome back, everybody, to our Tabuti podcast here at Fight CRC. I am so thankful to have with us Tisha Mazik. Thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Thank you so much. We are here to kind of chat about just some, again, a lot of the things we talk about here on the podcast are a little taboo, but specifically this month, we are going to be chatting about um, end of life. So, Kintisha, if you wouldn't mind just sharing your story with us, um, for those of us who may not be familiar with it, um, and just kind of let us know how you got involved with Fight CRC. Sure, no problem. So my mother, Felita Rollins, was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in 2005, subsequently passing away from the disease in March 2000. I'm sorry, she was diagnosed in 2003 and she passed away March 17, 2005. At the time of her death, I was 22 years old. I'm an only child, so my mom and I were extremely close. And so it was very, very tough watching her go through that journey. Although when I look in the background, I can see that she was very resilient, but I know that she was putting the best face on the outside. Um, As I got older and more in tune with my health and knowing that colon cancer could be hereditary because my mom passed from it, I started wanting to know more about the illness. And in doing so, I found out that there was not a lot of awareness or even documentation or internet searches that um, provided information specifically about colon cancer. So I ran across the Fight CRC website and we've been connected since. I got in touch with someone who worked there who was very informative gave me information, um, very educational and knowledgeable about what I needed to do as a first degree relative. And it just gave me the confidence to take control of my health. And from there, I just started using Fight CRC as a platform to raise awareness, the documentation that they provided. I would be a filter and a sponge and just disperse that to the community because it's a lot of people, including myself, that was not knowledgeable of something that's taken the lives of so many. Man, 22, that's really young to lose your mom. Um, I feel like especially not having siblings to kind of share that burden with, were you her primary caregiver um, during this time? So thank God I had my grandparents. I will say my grandparents had me because being an only child, a natural worry person. And so I was connected to my mom's hip. I mean, I joke about this now, but I literally slept with her for 22 years and not because I was afraid to sleep by myself. I was just I love my mom and I used to fall asleep just talking to her, watching TV or whatever. And my grandparents, um, I'm very background. So at the beginning, I didn't want to hear those tough conversations directly from the doctor. So my grandparents would feel information to me and I know that they would kind of shelter some of the information or those tough conversations because they knew that it was emotionally 
draining and challenging and that at that time I probably wouldn't be able to take it. Yeah. So with the topic of end of life, just it, it's naturally uncomfortable to talk about. We don't like to think about, we don't like to talk about our loved ones, um, having to live without them here with us. Um, so how in this situation, I guess, how would we bring it up and when do we bring it up? If we do, I know you said that your grandparents kind of sheltered you from some of those conversations, some of those, some of those heavier topics in realities while y'all were going through it. But is there any sensitive way to bring that up or to have those conversations? So can I be honest with you? I saw on TV a lot, like parents, they pull their children aside and, you know, they educate them and let them know what's going on. To be honest, my mother got sick in January 2005. So her cancer was in remission and it came back in January 2005 with a vengeance Mm -hmm. and it spread all over her body. So I knew her cancer had come back and I knew that it was different than before, meaning um, she lost an abundance of weight very quickly. The medicine that the trial drugs that she was on really took a toll on her exterior shell like her skin everything so I knew that it was different so mentally I had been preparing myself but emotionally I don't know if I was ready for that tough conversation because in my mind it's like you're waiting for something to happen so my mom died on March 17th and to be honest I didn't find out she was dying until March 10th 2000 I'm sorry March 7th 2005 and do you know how I found out she had a episode because in the life it's it's your health is is up and down and so my mom had started having these kind of sort of asthmatic episodes where she was losing breath because it had spread to her lungs and so she would always, you know, downplay it to me. I knew it wasn't right, but she's Kentisha. I'm okay. I'm okay. And so one day I was at work and she had an, an asthmatic episode while she was at the doctor. And so instead of me taking that, I'm all right, I got off work and I went to the hospital. <laughs> Super cute. I walked in the hospital room on the doctor having the conversation with her about end of life Mm. saying sort of the fact of like, you know, that um, your days are numbered, you know, that we're at the end, nearing the end. And my mom stared at me the whole time he was having that conversation with her because I, I knew it in my heart, but we had never had that conversation that Kentisha I'm dying. But I felt like it, but we never had it. And then even after that day, Melissa, um, I walked over to my mom after the doctor said what he said. And I said, Mom, I'm going to be okay." And she said, I know you are. And she gave me her wishes of what she wanted me to accomplish after her death. And that was our conversation. But even then. I was like, "Okay, I know my mom is dying, but how long does she have? 
it's that waiting period that you know something is going to happen, but you don't know when it's going to happen. And so you're just watching that person before you deteriorate. And I think that was harder for me. So I'm glad that I didn't know in January when my mom had that tough conversation that she was dying because I feel like being an only child, it would have taken a true emotional toll on me from January to March. Because after finding out that she was dying on March 7th, 2005, I hands down became her caregiver. So my grandparents was there, but I wouldn't let anybody do anything because that's my mom. And she deteriorated so quickly, but even still, I don't know how long she had. So (laughs) she came home from the hospital on March 11th. And when she came home from the hospital, that was her last meal. But still being young, I'm not knowing that's a part of the process. So all I'm seeing is my mom suffering before my eyes. And I'm like, God, how long is she going to have to live like this, knowing that a few days later, she would be gone. So I do like the way that it happened, the way that I found out, because I don't know if I would have been emotionally able to sustain and be that person, be that champion that she needed to me to be in that moment. Because I had to prepare myself. Because it's hard. Seeing the strongest person that you know literally deteriorate before your eyes. I can't imagine finding out 10 days before my mother passed that that's kind of the path that you were walking down. Um, Is there anything that you wish you would have known um, about end of life? I guess, well, let me ask it this way. Was there anything that surprised you? I know that you said that when she came home, it was her last meal and you, um, you didn't know that that's kind of how that would happen. Is there anything else that surprised you Any advice that you would give to help prepare those that might be facing that or might soon face that? (sighs) You know, it, it happens fast. Like it really does happen fast. And it's a, it's a, it's a long journey that even though it broke my heart to see her like that, that's not how I wanted to remember her. So when she did transition and pass away, that was my comfort knowing that she was not suffering because I can truly say that she was comfortable at the end, but that journey of, you know, shutting down that process, seeing your family member who you know as being the strongest person you've ever met, not be in control of themselves, it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And I gained strength in knowing that she was truly in a better place. Mm -hmm. When I think back, had I wish I would have known sooner, um, I really feel like those tough conversations should be based on the age group of the individual that you need to have it with. Mm -hmm. Because there's 
and the personalities of the person that you're having that conversation with. Like you kind of have to know their style of communication, Mm -hmm. um, how to communicate with them. There are some people that you can just say, Melissa, this is what's happening. Of course, you're being empathetic, but I need you to be strong. And then there's certain people that you may have to shelter that with that. Well, like my mom, the doctors, you know, they're saying that this might be the end, but I'm going to keep fighting. Like, I'm not going to give up. And that's what I got from my mom. So because her will to live was so strong, I didn't give up on her. Mm-hmm until I saw that she was not in control of herself when she wasn't able to, to eat, to function, to drink, when her body started shutting down, that's when I wanted her to be in peace because she wasn't in control to fight at that moment. Yeah. Hmm. Well, on the more practical side of things as well, and please let me know if this is jumping too much. Um, but is there anything, um, not necessarily legally, but practically that was helpful in those final days that helped, um, in making arrangements in having those conversations with friends or family? You know what I will think is very beneficial. And my mom did this, um, when she died, all of her arrangements was made. Mm-hmm. So I think that takes a lot of burdens off of the your family, mm-hmm. knowing that you will be laid to rest in the manner that you want to. It also causes elimination of strife between family members mm-hmm. because everyone thinks that they know what's best for the deceased, especially if you have siblings. Luckily, I did not. So I was the decision maker, but I did have her parents to consider as well because that they're bearing their child. And so I think that um, hoping for the best and preparing for the worst and getting those arrangements in order proactively in a manner that you would like to be remembered um, and memorialized, I think that takes a lot of stress because making arrangements after brings on more and more emotions that depending on the individual there, they may not be able to deal with at that moment. And then you make rash decisions that you regret. Yeah. I could see that. Like I wish I would not have done this. I will say my mom had everything in order, but being the only child, the spoiled child, it was some things that I interjected and I wanted better. Now, as a almost 40 year old adult, I realized that she did things the way she did because she wanted to um, make sure that she had everything in order for me. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, oh, no, she chose this vault. Uh-uh, I don't like it. We got to go with this vault. Now I understand why she did the things that she did. So I would encourage anybody, if your family does make arrangements, just stick with that because there's a, a rhyme to their reason. There's a reason they did what they did. Yeah. Because it was some things I'm like, uh-uh, like, no, my mom didn't do that. Now I understand why. Because funerals are costly. To memorialize someone is costly. So she chose what was beneficial for her because she knew that it would leave me with more. Mm-hmm. But back then, I didn't care. So listen to your loved one's requests. Yeah. That's such a great reminder. And it it really does just show the true love. Um, 
of people when they can kind of plan ahead for those that they unfortunately are leaving behind to kind of make those decisions so that in the midst of your grief and some for some trauma that it's not another decision or thought process that you have to go through, um, that you can just kind of be sitting in that um, moment of remembering them and their life. Um, and not saying that people that are not able to do that, do not love their loved ones, but it really is right. a wonderful gift. Um, I worked in, I've worked in the clinical setting most of my um, career as a, as a nurse. And I know that that's one thing that I, really try to help patients understand is that it's very hard to talk about. It's very hard to think about um, not being here for your children or not being here for your spouse or your loved ones. Um, but the more that you can do for them to help them through that process, um, I think is just such a great gift to them um, in the midst it of is. going on. It definitely is. And I, I didn't have to do anything. I chose to do more just because I'm like, ah, she didn't choose that. But, you know, she laid everything out, her request and even her um, her where she's buried at the tombstone. Like I had to do nothing, which was a surprise. But it was like, wow, it just showed me how resilient she is and was in that moment to be going through all of that and still be able to um, think about me. That's what I looked at. She was thinking about me in the process and knew that it might've been too much to bear. So let me help my baby out because it doesn't matter how old you are. There's age doesn't dictate the love that you have for a person. And so I, I hate when people say she left her life, you know, the things when people are trying to comfort you, but they use those words that make you want to snap. And, you know, it doesn't matter. You can be 80 years old, 100 years old. That love doesn't change in the way that a person handles the death of their loved one mm-hmm. doesn't change based off of how old they are. Right. You're so right. And even... And honestly, even I um, have failed in that aspect as well, because when people do live these long lives, everybody assumes like, oh, they lived this long, glorious life. Like at least they didn't pass away younger, you know, like they they're almost like they met their full capacity, their full potential. Um, And somehow those that pass sooner don't or don't get the chance to. So I can see how very insensitive that is and that it doesn't matter how long we're able to spend with them here on earth. It doesn't, it doesn't take away from the pain of them being gone. Yeah. Right. And the existence, like I, I literally was with my mom every day. Um, I didn't care about a boyfriend. I didn't care about hanging with my friends. She was my best friend. So to go from that and then to go from being with her every day to not, it was, it was a toll. And then her parents, my grandparents, I had to think about them and include them mm-hmm. um, because they birthed and buried two children. My mom had a brother that died before her. Mm-hmm. So I know that it was an emotional toll on them and they were champions. So I made sure to include them in the, planning process and even though she made the arrangements let them hear those arrangements to know that it's coming from her in a place of love 
Right. And I think that is the best to have your 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 will, your wishes in order, because I have learned and saw because the thing about being connected in this world with the colon cancer organization is that I meet a lot of people who unfortunately transition Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of strife in the family. Mm. And I'm so grateful that I didn't have that. But one way to prevent it is to have your arrangements in order. We don't know the time or day. So just make sure that you have that will. However you want your assets separated, that would alleviate so much stress during the end of life. And, you know, I look at it as even though you're not physically here, you're spiritually here. So that pain that your family is going through, you're seeing it firsthand. Mm -hmm. You're witnessing it. And so why take your family through that strife or even subconsciously be the reason of the strife? Mm -hmm. So make sure like it's hard, but just look at it like you're you're leaving your family with a gift decisions that they don't have to make yeah the will so they don't have to go through um are that so that the probate process could be easy and seamless Mm -hmm. no arguments um make your preparations through pre-made or whatever order that you have i think that would be the best thing for end of life even even now like you don't we don't know when it's going to happen but just prepare Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Kentisha, for talking with me today. Um, thank you for sharing the story of your mom. Um, I'm very honored that I got to sit here and chat with you and talk to you about this topic. Glad you so much. Glad to be. I'm honored to be of assistance anytime fight CRC. I love fight CRC and everything you stand for. Um, Great resource for information, great resource for support, emotional support, mental support. Um, I'm just a huge fight CRC fan and I am thankful to be of service to you in any way I can. Thank you for joining our Kabuti podcast. Remember that this information is for educational purposes only and all medical questions should be directed to your doctor.